Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Hands up if you enjoy being stressed about money. No, I thought so. I was, I was confidently predicted there'd be zero hands. I don't know about you, but I've never heard anyone say the high borrowing on my credit card has improved my own mental health. Or ever since we got into debt, our marriage has improved. Back when we, did, when we had loads of money, we never argued. And now we have debt, we, uh, we, we don't argue at all. Um, so... Uh, it's not good for us, is it? When we worry about money, it causes stress. And we're looking at stress is bad this morning, which is the second of our four weeks in our series looking at money. Um, and last week, Andy spoke about um, less is more. Um, and he talked about the fact that we're constantly told that we need to have more to be happy. And that narrative, that, that, that narrative that we um, hear all the time and, and uh, listen to all the time, the need to accumulate forms part of a system that we live in that creates the perfect conditions for us to have money worries, doesn't it? See, people and organisations, even, even banks, they're actively encouraged to, to spend money they don't have, effectively gambling on their ability to pay it back one day. So when we take out a mortgage, we get a credit card, take out a loan, get a student loan. That's what we're doing. We're taking a calculated risk as to our future earnings And we're hoping to demonstrate to to a lender enough confidence that we'll pay it back one day. And in exchange, they make money through something called compound interest. And not many people realise how compound interest works. I must admit, I don't fully understand it either. And that's probably why Albert Einstein apparently called it the eighth wonder of the world. He said, he who understands it, earns it. And he who doesn't, pays it. And the only real winner in this arrangement, ultimately, is the lender. Let me give you an example of how compound interest works. Let's say you put £5,000 on a credit card, and the APR, which is your annual percentage rate, is 18.9%. Okay? And, the minimum, and let's say that the minimum monthly repayment on that £5,000 loan is £123 a month. Does anyone want to guess how long it would take to pay off that £5,000 credit card loan, paying only the minimum um, repayments per month. No accountants allowed to work it out in their heads, Catherine. (laughs) I'll tell you, it's 31 years and 10 months. You were close? Pretty much 32 years. And do you know how much you actually would pay back on that £5,000 loan? £12,077. Like I said, the only winner is the lender. But actually, it's arguable, I might argue, you may disagree, that debt and borrowing is the thing that makes our entire economy work, in inverted commas. Does anyone want to guess what the total global debt was last year? Total global debt is businesses, governments and households. 300 trillion dollars. That's three with 14 zeros after it. It's an unimaginable amount of money that is just debt. 
and borrowing. As I said, we have the perfect conditions for each of us to worry about money, because everybody does. Now, I'm not going to stand here this morning, thankfully. You'll be glad to hear. I'm not going to stand here this morning and say, only spend the money you have in the bank for two reasons. One is, I've got a credit card, and I had a student loan, so I'd be a hypocrite if I said that. Secondly, we all know the system is, if you want to buy something like a house or a car or a holiday, you're going to need to borrow in order to do that. No one has six-figure money in their account, or none of us here anyway, I don't think, has that in their bank account. So I won't say don't use credit cards or don't take out a loan or don't get a mortgage, but I will say we have to be wise with the choices that we make about when and how we do this and how much we would borrow, because as I said before, it's a calculated risk. And wisdom means being very careful about the calculated part of that equation in order to minimise the risk that we're taking. You see, money, money worries are real, okay? We, we know this, and it happens to all of us at some point. Maybe it's happening to some of us now. I remember I entered the job market in 2008 just as the economy crashed. So I spent six months unemployed on housing benefit and job seekers allowance. And even back then, the benefits I was receiving didn't come close to covering my needs for rent and bills and food. I experienced what it means to have to worry about paying my bills. I had many bills that I missed. I had my phone cut off at one point. Um, And here I am 15 years later with a relatively healthy income, once again worrying about how I'm going to pay my utility bills, as we all are, right? Because we've seen what's happened in the last year. So in the midst of this, in the midst of this global pandemic of borrowing and debt and worry about money, how can we have this peace? How can we have the sort of peace that Jesus talks about when it comes to money? So I'm not offering financial advice this morning. You'll be pleased to know. I'm not a qualified financial advisor. Um, And I'm not really someone who has a great deal of practical wisdom in this area. Um, So there's no method I'm going to promote this morning, no system to deal with money uh, or debt. And and I've tried loads of them. I've tried lots of different ways to manage money, from complicated spreadsheets and budgets to to literally years ago carrying envelopes of cash around with me at the supermarket. And I'm I'm serious. When when Becky and I were first married, we had no money, and we'd withdraw money for the week, and that would be what we would have. I'd go to the supermarket with an envelope full of cash and a calculator totting up what we were spending And if we ran out, that was it. I didn't take a bank card to the supermarket with me, ever. The cash was all we had for the week. If we ran out of cash, we wouldn't eat. And there's loads of great suggestions about how to manage your money. You know, you might want to do that. It's it's hard. Maybe don't. And it's hard now in a cashless society to do something like that anyway. Um, Many of the suggestions that you'll see for managing your budget and managing your finances are garbage to be honest, and many of them charge you for the privilege, which feels counterintuitive. And even the really good ones that you might see, they might not work for you. They might work for somebody and not for somebody else. So no method this morning from me. If you want to know about budgeting, go on the budgeting course, uh, which uh, Hilary talked about a moment ago. And if you do need advice, if you are in a dire situation at the moment, you're really worried about money, you're in debt, and you need support, Go and talk to someone qualified or someone who you know in church who actually has wisdom in this area who can help you, not someone just preaching on a Sunday morning who has no idea about how to do this kind of stuff. Instead, this morning, I'm going to look at something more, hopefully, more useful. No, definitely more useful. No, hopefully about it. 
definitively more useful than a good budget. And that's the thing that Jesus offers us, which is peace. Peace about money. And our passage today is, is Luke 12. It will come up on the screen as well. We're starting at verse 22. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wild flowers grow. They do not labour or spin. Yet I tell you now, not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So here Jesus is telling us that we, we don't need to worry about money because God will provide our needs. Do we believe that in the midst of rising living costs? and decreasing wages. There are two mistakes people make when they look at this passage. The first mistake is to say that God doesn't care about our material needs and that they don't matter. He does, and they do. The passage we just read tells us that he promises to care for us and provide for us, just like he does for the ravens and the flowers. And actually, if in, in the book of James, God charges the church with the responsibility for practically helping those in need who are in the church. It says in James 2, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? So there's a responsibility that God has given to us to care for our practical needs. No one should fall into destitution within the church. The second mistake is to say that God only cares about these things, only cares about our material possessions and our wealth. And that's the message that you get from the prosperity gospel, right? You follow Jesus, you get rich. Tells you that you, you know, God is a, is a means to have this stuff. So the goal of, the, of your life in the prosperity gospel is to pursue wealth and possessions. And that's some kind of weird walked way of showing that God loves you, which means if you don't have these things, God mustn't love you. But neither of those two things are true. God does care about our material needs. I want to look at what the, the Bible actually does say, which is a third approach, and it's this. It's that we can have peace about money that helps us to see that, yes, God cares and yes, we can trust that God provides. And we don't need to make material wealth 
our main priority. We can live differently to the rest of the world in regards to money and possessions. Wouldn't that be a great message to to give to the world right now when there's so much anxiety and stress about money to be a people that are not stressed out about money because we have God's peace? Doesn't the world need to see that message right now? Don't we need that message? Literally the day after I got told by Tom that this was the topic and title of my sermon, thanks Tom for for that, Um, our rent went up by almost 20%, literally the day after. In the last 12 months, our utility bills have trebled. We're both, Becky and I are both in the NHS, and we've barely had a pay rise in over a decade. This year, the Kenyans are going to be a lot worse off than they were last year and the year before. So I know I need that piece as well. Do we believe it's possible to live like this? To have that kind of peace? And that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at uh, what that peace looks like and how we get it. Because I believe it's possible for us to attain that peace this morning. So what this peace looks like is it looks like seeking heavenly treasure. Jesus, Jesus doesn't just say, don't worry, full stop. Instead, he says, replace your worry with concern for the kingdom of God. Now, the, the key to this entire passage is uh, verses 32 to 34, where Jesus says, do not, be af- do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And Jesus is saying two things here. Firstly, he's distinguishing between our treasures on earth, our money, our possessions, and treasures in heaven. Treasures on earth can be destroyed by moths and stolen by thieves, which is to say that they're vulnerable to nature and to human evil. But heavenly treasure is impervious to both those things. It can't be stolen. It can't be destroyed. It won't become worthless one day. It isn't going to be affected by the rate of inflation. And the second thing that Jesus does here is he makes this correlation between what we treasure and our hearts. Dallas Willard, who says this about our treasure, he says, our treasure is something that we try to keep because we value it because of the value we place upon it. If you want to know what your treasure is, then just ask yourself, what do you spend your spare money on? What is it you think about the most? What will you go to the most lengths to protect? Now, you're probably thinking of good things, right? Most of the things you'd be thinking of right now are good things and good treasures. So Jesus isn't saying don't treasure your family or don't treasure having food on the table. But he's saying that our greatest treasure, above all these things, should be God. That's what it means to fulfill the first commandment, to to love God with all our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength. That's what Jesus is getting at in the the parable of the treasure in the field. That in that parable, someone finds treasure hidden in the field and he sells everything he has so he can buy the field and possess the treasure. That's what it means to treasure God above all else. But there's more, to, there's more to just, there's more to storing up treasures in heaven than, than, than simply treasuring God above all else. Because when we, when we do this, when God is our treasure, when God is our primary goal, we 
change. We become different. Dallas Willard says, again, on, on, this, on this subject, thus, to lay up treasures in heaven is to treasure all of these intimate and touching aspects of heaven's life, all of what God is doing on earth. It is to do so in the order and manner heaven has indicated, and especially as we see it illuminate, illuminated in Jesus himself. And when we live in this way, our treasures are absolutely secure. All that we do counts and counts forever. It is preserved in our life within God's eternal life. In other words, laying up treasures in heaven is the active work of doing God's work now, his kingdom work now on earth. And that looks like many things. But one of the things and the thing that Jesus picks out here in, in this passage is, is generosity. Look closely at what he says. He says, don't be afraid, little flock, for your father's been pleased to give you the kingdom. What is it we're not to be afraid of? Well, he says, the very next bit, sell your possessions and give to the poor. In other words, the thing we're not to be afraid of is to be generous. We shouldn't be fearful of being generous. And, and the point is that possessions are not a bad thing but that we shouldn't hold on to possessions so tightly that we should be, sorry, we should be prepared to hold on to possessions so lightly that we should be prepared to sell them in order to give to the needy. If you haven't got enough money to give to the needy, Jesus is saying sell something. Just think about that for a moment. We should be so untethered to our possessions that if we don't have money to give to those who need it, we should be prepared to sell something to give. Isn't that a challenging message? This is only possible to be generous in this way, to live like this, if we are not worried about money. If you were here last week or you heard Andy's sermon online, you remember he did this illustration of someone holding onto skittles and... Um, you know, when you're fearful about money and possessions, you hold on with both hands. And if you have both hands on something, you can't use a hand to give. You can't be generous. When we're fearful about money, we have both our hands in the skittles. Both hands holding on. And there is an inverse correlation between worry and generosity. And to illustrate the point, I've drawn a graph, which will hopefully show us. If you go along the x-axis... The more you worry, the less generous you become. But Jesus tells us in verse 15 of this very chapter that we're reading this morning, that life doesn't consist in an abundance of possessions. And in our hyper-consumerist culture, it's really hard to believe that sometimes, isn't it? Because it's just fed to us from every angle. You can't, you can't move for adverts telling you you need to buy something. But here's Jesus saying, life doesn't consist in an abundance of possessions. Instead, he's telling us that we, when we're not worried about money, we can sell possessions that don't last in order to seek treasure that will not fail. This is what it means when the Bible talks about sowing to please the Spirit. Galatians uh, chapter 6 says, whoever sows to please their flesh from the Spirit from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. 
let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong in the family of believers. When we do this, when we seek God's kingdom and we seek heavenly treasure, what happens? Well, Jesus tells us, verse 31, these things, the things that we need, the food, clothing, will be given to us as well. So let's look at how we get this peace. Now, I, I, I'm a very task-orientated person. I love a list. And uh, my mind will generally default to thinking about what can I do to, to, to get something or to achieve something. So if you're like me, you've probably got your notebook at the ready now. Well, what do I need to do? <laughs> What's the actions I need to take? What are the next steps? Um, but let's look again at what Jesus actually says we need to do. Verse 32, again, he says, do not be afraid, little flock. Why? Because your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. We already have the kingdom. We can't earn our way into it. There's not a list of actions that we can complete to, to get into the kingdom. We're already there. We've received a new citizenship in this kingdom, and it's ours to keep. It can't be taken away from us. So when I'm saying about generosity, and I'm talking about seeking uh, heavenly treasure, this, isn't, this is what the peace of God looks like, not how we get it. We don't do these things in order to get peace. We do these things because we have peace. So I'm not saying go and sell your possessions and give to the poor in order that God will accept you into his kingdom or that you'll have peace about money. But, but rather it's the evidence that we already have God's kingdom in us. It's confirmation that we're members of his kingdom, that we're his people, that we're his children. And as children of God, we share his DNA. We share the DNA of our Father. And there's no one more generous than God. No one more willing to give. No one who's more open-handed with their skittles than God is. And in the same way, being concerned about our Father's business, his kingdom, is a sign that we belong to it, that we have our Father's DNA. Now, we've already noted that, that Jesus makes this link between uh, our, our heart and what we treasure and the heart, so in the, in, the, in the Bible, is it kind of refers to what everything that we do. It's our will. It's what gives orientation to how we act. It's our will being exercised. And, and the heart will take joy in treasure. Whatever we treasure, our heart will take joy in. And so, therefore, the bigger the treasure, the more joy we will have. The, bigger, the more secure our treasure, the more joy we have. And what, what treasure is bigger and more secure than Christ himself? And therefore, what can give us more joy? And when we're full of the, the joy that comes from, from treasuring Christ, then we open our hands to be generous and we sell the possessions that don't last in order to seek the kingdom that doesn't fail and treasure that doesn't fail. So, as I said before, the answer to the question, how do I stop worrying about money, is not another budget or a new savings plan. And that's not to say there isn't wisdom in, in some of those things, because there is, and, and 
I'm not discounting those things, but it's not the answer to how we stop stressing about money, ultimately. Because what we need is God's peace. A lasting peace that means that money doesn't lead to crippling worry, uncertainty. Because we love Jesus more than money and anything that money can buy. And just as we finish, before we'll get the band back in a moment, I want to look at Hebrews 12, verse 2, which is speaking about Jesus. It says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, Jesus, Jesus held himself on the cross, chose to stay there, in spite of the pain and suffering, because he had a joy, a treasure set before him. A treasure that was so valuable to him that his heart, his will, was totally orientated towards it to the point of dying to secure it and protect it. What was it? What was his treasure? What was it that held him there? It's the redemption of his people. It's us. We are. We're his treasure. It's, I find this staggering. One of the most staggering things to think about. That, that God would endure the cross because it means he could have me. That on the cross, Jesus was sustained by his treasure. And you might be thinking, what's that got to do with money, Andy? I say it's got everything to do with money. Because we can treasure Jesus above all else because he first treasured us. That we can be sustained through difficult seasons, whether that's with money or with anything else, because Jesus led the way, sustained by his treasure, us. And it means that we can trust him. We can trust the one that did this for us when he says, don't worry about your life, what you will eat and what you will wear. We can trust him when he says that your father knows that you need these things. We can trust him when he says, if you seek first the kingdom of God, then these things will be given to you. We can trust him because he held himself on the cross for us. We can trust God as the most generous giver, that as our father, as our provider, and as our king, and that ultimately he will provide for us and bring us the peace that we need. I wonder if the, the musicians could come back and we're going to go back into worship. Just before we do, I want to pray for us. Um, and... I think there's different responses in people this morning, depending on where you are at. For some of us, it's just a moment as we worship to reflect on this truth, that you're so precious to God, that he loves you so much, that he would die for you. And some need to be reminded of that because they need to be reminded of how deep God's love is for them, because... They've lost that sense of wonder. They've lost that sense of security of knowing that's how much Jesus loves them.